Lord, what, what good words for us to sing. And I, I do pray that, Lord. Um, God, even if, if we haven't been working on the soil of our hearts, by your spirit, would you do that right now in us? We, we, want, to, we want to receive your word in humility. We want you to bear fruit because we cannot do that, Lord, on our own. We need you to do that in us. So I, I just pray for our time today, Lord, and really every time we gather, whether it's the whole, the whole gathering or, or smaller groups gathering, God, we, we pray that our hearts would be this, this good ground that is, is ready for you to do whatever it is that you want in us, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to start in Exodus 34. Um, we're going to be kind of all over the place. Normally, like if you're newer uh, to Harvest, normally we, we just start in a book and we chug on through. Uh, the next five weeks will be different. As Matt said, we're looking at, at our values. But before I even get into the sermon, I do want to say thank you um, on behalf of myself, my wife, and Matt and Kat. Thank you for the cards. Um, such sweet notes from so many people in our body. Thank you for uh, generous gifts. Uh, we, uh, man, we, we did feel so loved and valued. I don't know if you could tell how awkward I felt up on the stage, um, but, but that's not at all because I didn't feel valued by you. I, uh, I'm a big fan of God getting attention. I don't like it when the attention is on me. Um, so I hope my, my body language wasn't off-putting, but man, as I went home and just read over those cards, it was, it was like a balm to, to, my, to my heart and my soul in uh, you know, what's been at times just very challenging few years. So many, many thanks to you for that. A um, little over a month ago, we rolled out uh, our, our new mission statement, right? We tried to just really refine and simplify um, our, our mission statement so that as a whole church, and I mean, even down to like our, our young, young kids, that, that we could know like, okay, this is, is what we're about. So this is our, our new mission statement. As Harvest Community Church, we gather as a family, we grow as disciples of Jesus, and we go to our neighbors and the nations. And I really, I really appreciate, Matt's really the one that crafted it. Um, I really appreciate, I mean, you could just remember, gather, grow, go. And, and my guess is, like, even if you don't remember those exact other words, you, you're able to fill in uh, the details. But we, we, it's important that, that we gather together as a church family. And, and we do a whole gathering on Sunday mornings, but then throughout the week, hopefully there's, there's more uh, gatherings in, uh, that are small um, that happen as well. The author of Hebrews uh, implores us to not stop meeting together. They wrote, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, right? And man, so many people have, uh, have, have left the church in America and, and not, just, not just in the pandemic, like for years, this has been a trend, but certainly during the pandemic um, that, that happened a lot. And the author of Hebrews says, no, 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 don't. Like it is so important that we don't neglect meeting together, but, but encourage one another. Uh, and all the more as you see, see the day drawing near. So our gathering matters. Um, Sunday mornings, uh, other gatherings that are smaller throughout the week, we need uh, one another, right? It, it wouldn't work if, if just your family tried to be the church. Like you, you couldn't do that. You couldn't pull that off. Uh, I need, we need other Christians that see differently 
than I do, right? That think differently than, than you do. I need to be around uh, other believers that have different experiences than I have had. I need to be around people that, that throughout the week, they've just been meeting with the Lord, right? Like we talked about last week, communing with God. I, I need to be around brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week that, man, they've just been meditating on, on this passage in scripture that they've been in all week, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's multiple passages that God's just kind of been bringing together and, and, and showing them his heart and, and, and his, his, his love for the world and, and how, how great he is, right? I need, I need people in my life, in my church family that have been, been praying and responding to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in them. So it's good for us to have a fellowship with a variety of Christians. Now, obviously, as a pastor on staff here, I spend a lot of time thinking, praying, planning for our Sunday gathering. And yet I would also tell you, man, I don't know what the Lord is going to do on a Sunday Right? I know the things that we have planned and that we're praying, we're asking him to do. And I know that before the service, after the service, man, God's gonna orchestrate different conversations. He's gonna have different people talk and they're gonna encourage one another or challenge one another, or I don't know what exactly, but the Lord, man, the Lord works. When we, when we gather together, he's honored by that and he blesses our gathering. And yeah, we can, we can miss it, right? We can, we can just come to, church like it's another Sunday and we can be so tunneled focused on, I don't know, whatever it is we have coming this next week or, or like Matt said, after 1130, I don't know, maybe there's some football game on, I don't know who's playing, but maybe you're just thinking about that or, or maybe we're just so into like our, our own um, selves and, and, and the challenges and the problems that we're facing in life that, that we, we can miss right, what God has for us as we, we gather on a Sunday. But man, I, I, hope, I hope that we come ready and expectant. Um, man, it'd be good if we all just, it, before, like as we're getting in the car, or maybe just as we're walking in the doors, if we prayed something like, God, would, would you help me to be a blessing to this church family today? God, would you be blessed by, by us getting together? And, and Lord, by your grace, would you bless me? Would you grow me? Would you change me? All right, not, not an agenda, but just open hands before the Lord. And we wanna grow as disciples of Jesus. We wanna be a church that, that really takes our discipleship uh, of Jesus seriously. And when we say disciple at harvest, we mean that, that you wanna grow um, uh, more like Jesus in, in your heart, in your mind, and in your actions, right? What you feel, how you think, and what you do. So while we, we come with open hands before the Lord saying, Lord, do whatever you want, we also want a feet that are ready, right? To, to move where, wherever God says. We wanna make decisions that, that have this aim, this target of I wanna be more and more like Jesus. I want my brothers and sisters in Christ that are part of this church with me to be more and more like Jesus. So we're active participants in the life of the church, right? We wanna be active in pouring into other Christ, uh, other Christ followers and, and their discipleship of Jesus. And, and we, wanna, we wanna be ready to go, whether that's across the street or, or, or across the world. Uh, Christians have in their DNA uh, uh, this, this multiplying, right? And I, I've just seen it over and over again in, in brand new believers. 
Like they don't know what, what else to do besides talk about how Jesus has changed them, how they've met the Lord, they've been forgiven of their sin and they're different because Jesus has caused them to be born again, right? And, and so they just tell their friends, they don't even know what they're doing. It's called making disciples. They just do it. And it's not until you've like been walking with Jesus for a while that we seem to need the reminder, like, yeah, you're supposed to be telling others about Jesus, not just the people in your church, but, but others as well. Like you're supposed to make disciples, but these brand new believers, they just instinctively do it, right? So if you, if you haven't been going, right, and, and telling all kinds of people about Jesus, I'd encourage you to start today by asking God, who would you have? Who would you have me tell about you, right? Who, who have you put me in, the, in their life and, and them in my life so I can just start talking to them about you, Jesus, Right, who, Lord, would you have me demonstrate your love and kindness? Right, where would you have me go? Right, maybe it's across the street to a neighbor. Maybe it's, maybe it's over a cubicle or two at work. Or, or maybe, maybe there'll be a day when we're actually sending some from our, our own church uh, across the globe. So that's, that's our mission statement, right? We, we, we gather as a family, we grow as disciples of Jesus, and we go to our neighbors and, and to the nations. Um, and then each week we're going to go through a, a, different, um, a different value that we have. So I, I think we have our values uh, on a slide here. Um, each week we're, we're, we're going to talk about a different value. Uh, the first is that, that we, we want to be gracious. Um, we'll get it for you eventually. Uh, another value is that, that we are servants, uh, that we are hospitable, um, that we are, are intentional disciples. And then the last one, there we go, that, that we're participants. And you might look at those values and say, I mean, I don't see anything about, about evangelism in there. I don't, see, I don't see the word Bible or God in there. Uh, I don't see baptism. All of those, all of those beliefs that we have, they're in our, we call them we believe statements, or some churches might call it just a statement of beliefs. Right? And you, you can look at those. They're behind all of these. They're behind our, our mission statement as well. We actually have copies back at our Welcome Center, um, but they're packed with scripture. So you can see exactly how we've, we've gone from scripture to, to what we believe. Um, but, but these values, they are all connected to what we believe. And obviously there, there are other values that, that we could have picked. And, and when I say values, I want you to think of like, this is how we're marked as a church, or these are, these are our traits as a church family. This, this is what we're, we're aiming for. So like I said, normally in a, in a sermon series, we would start in a book and we just chug all the way through, like we just did with the book of James. Um, but, but for this series, we're, we're gonna look at each of these and first we're gonna look at, okay, where do we see this in scripture? Where do we see uh, that, that our God is this way? So today we're looking at, at God's graciousness in scripture in order for us to know how to reflect uh, God's graciousness to one another and, and to the world, right? Because we are image bearers, right? We're, we're image bearers and we want to show the world. We wanna show and remind each other that God is gracious that we are shaped by his grace. So we're in Exodus 34. Uh, you remember Moses back in, in chapter 33, Moses said, said to God, and, and Moses had this uh, very special relationship with God and, and Moses recognizes that. And, and he says, God, Yahweh, you know me by name. I wanna know you. 
right? And you remember, he says, I, I want to see your glory. So here in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, God reveals his name, the Lord, Yahweh, to him. And, and in doing that, he's revealing his character to Moses. So it starts this way in 34.6. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so this is how the Lord reveals himself to Moses, right? He, he presents himself this way. Every one of us today, we, uh, we chose the clothes that we were gonna wear to church, right? And, and on some level, right? Even the teenage boy that says they don't care maybe, on some level, everyone made choices as to how they wanted to look today, right? I didn't wear my sweatpants, right? I guarantee you by 1230, I'll have my sweatpants on. I'll probably have a hat on. I didn't wear those today. I wanted to look at least somewhat presentable and pastoral maybe. Like we, we all make choices how we present ourselves. Here in Exodus 34, God, God, he presents himself, right? He's revealing himself to Moses. And we know that, that um, this description matters because it's repeated through scripture. Maybe, maybe you remember that Matt, when he read Psalm 145, there's a variation of, uh, of this, what, what we just read in, in Exodus 34. And this happens six other times, different forms of, uh, of this, uh, this description of God to, him, uh, to Moses, God himself revealing his character. And we remember, uh, right, that, that in his character and all these characteristics, man, he has these perfectly, right? He, he does not lack in, in mercy or grace at all. Right? There's no shortage of his steadfast love or his faithfulness. Right? He's, he's perfect in, in being slow to anger. Right? His, his anger over sin is always right. It's always perfect. It's always just. I don't relate to that. Right? I'm not perfect in my anger. In fact, I suspect that most times when I get pretty angry, um, that it, it, well, even when my anger is, is fairly justified or maybe completely justified, I don't think I've ever handled it perfectly. Maybe sometimes I've handled it well, but God is not that way, right? He never goes too far in his anger. He doesn't, his anger isn't, uh, doesn't cloud his judgment, right? He doesn't respond in anger and then come back later and say, oh, I, I shouldn't have done it that way, right? No, his judgments are right and fair and just. Look how the psalmist in Psalm 30 um, writes about God's anger. Psalm 30, verse five. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor, and that word favor means grace. His favor or grace is for a lifetime, right? We, we deserve punishment for sin and yet God is merciful. God is gracious to everyone who turns to him, to everyone who repents, right? In his mercy, he does not give us what our sins deserve, and his grace towards us is giving us favor that we have no right to at all. 
He, God says he, he keeps that steadfast love for thousands. Steadfast love means that, that it's a love that perseveres, right? And, and we need a God whose love perseveres because we continue to struggle to love him. We continue to, to follow him and yet his, his love does not fail towards us. And then look, it, it says, uh, God who by no means clears the guilty, but it also says that he forgives iniquity or forgives sin. So which is it, right? Do you forgive or do you not, do you not clear the guilty? Or maybe a more helpful question is, how does someone receive God's forgiveness? Let's go to the book of Jonah. If you wanna turn there, you can. Um, at my Bible college, every freshman, uh, second semester, we took, uh, they called it an, an inductive uh, Bible study class. Uh, now I think they call it Bible study methods class. But the book of Jonah was our text. So we spent the entire semester over just these 48 verses. And, and I, I had, my, uh, I had my, my Bible that was from Bible college for years. And, and if you just set it down, it would, it would fall open to Jonah. Like no matter what, like, we spent so much time in that short book. So if you're not familiar with it, let me give you a really quick version. I'm going to skip all kinds of details. You should go back though and read Jonah yourself. It will not take long. But God says to Jonah, his prophet, he says, go to Nineveh. I want you to preach against it because, because the evils of the Ninevites have risen to me. Well, Jonah hears that. And instead of going to Nineveh, he heads the exact opposite direction. He jumps on a boat to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. Uh, the sea pretty quickly gets violent, right? And he's sailing uh, with, with a bunch of people that don't know Yahweh, a bunch of, a bunch of pagans. Um, long story short, he convinces the sailors that this violent storm that is freaking out people that sail all the time, right? They, they're, they're used to storms, but this one's, this one's more than they, than they want. He convinces them that this is all about him running from God. He tells them that his God is the God of the land and the sea. And they're thinking, you idiot, we are on the sea. And this is the God you're running from. He eventually convinces them after some time to throw him overboard, right? Goes into the sea, big fish swallows him. He has time to consider what has happened. It's like the ultimate timeout. Um, finally, begrudgingly, Jonah agrees to go to Nineveh. The fish vomits him out onto the shore, which is really gross. Uh, Jonah then heads to Nineveh. And, it, and it's, it's a th I think it's a three-day journey across Nineveh. It was that big. And the whole time he's preaching, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And Nineveh, this evil, evil city responds, right? They repent from, from the lowest person in the kingdom all the way up to the king himself. They repent and God relents. He does not bring judgment and Jonah is livid. He, he could not be more angry. So let's pause right there. So toward the end of uh, that, that second semester of my freshman year of Bible college, we had both our, our lecture time in, uh, in our inductive Bible study class, and then we had our labs too. And, and towards one of the very last sessions, it might've even been the last session of lab, uh, our, our lab instructor uh, showed us, he started class off with uh, a, a video about the Nazis. 
and it was a uh, particularly uh, horrific video. And certainly, I mean, in school, I'd heard about concentration camps. I'd heard about uh, the, the, the Gestapo and, and Auschwitz. Um, but man, this, this little documentary was, was so graphic. I mean, the, the video did such a great job of depicting how evil what the Nazis did was. And you couldn't help by the end of the video, but, but being sick to your stomach to see what they had done. And their lab instructor stops the video and, and, and pretty quickly you realize he showed us that video so that, so that we could feel that disgust and, and, and he connected it to, man, this is how Jonah felt about Nineveh. Right, the, the Ninevites had acted in such evil ways that, that truly it might have made some of the Nazis blush. Uh, not too long ago, I mean, I think a couple decades ago at least, um, there, there was a, uh, a Nineveh library that was discovered, all these writings from the Ninevites. And, and they, were, uh, they had no shame in, in explaining all the evils uh, that they had done. Um, burning, I, I read about... A, piling up women and children and, and burning them uh, alive. Uh, there was one, one Ninevite king that bragged that, that when he defeated this other king, he had him skinned alive. Um, I, I read another thing that I, I cannot say out loud because it, it just made my stomach turn. Um, this last week, uh, I, it, probably by about Tuesday or Wednesday, I decided that I was gonna watch some of uh, the videos out there um, on uh, Hamas's attack on Israel. Um, and, and I knew it was gonna be really disgusting. Um, man, as I watched those videos and, and I, was, I was thinking about this passage, I'm like, man, like there, to me, there's just so many similarities about just the evil, right? That, 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 that people are capable of and, and Jonah, and he didn't want such perpetrators of evil to be shown grace in any way. Jonah wanted justice, right? And, and that's, what, that's what we so often want for others, right? We, we want justice for someone else, right? When I'm driving on the freeway, and, and it seems like when I drive over the 205 bridge, I swear, it's like where idiots just hang out, like just crazy drivers. And, and, and sometimes there'll be someone just, flying so fast and, and, and just weaving in and out of traffic. And I get so mad. I'm just praying like, Lord, will you just send a cop here right now to bust that guy, right? And I just want justice. And, and, and then and I realize, okay, there's not a cop here. And then like in my imagination, I'm ready to go like all vigilante, right? And, and somehow catch this guy and, and like make a citizen's arrest to the applause of my fellow freeway travelers. Man, Jonah wanted Nineveh to get what they deserved. Jonah knew that God was a God of justice. And he understood, uh, I'm guessing in, in, a, in a very personal way, the evils that had come at the hands of the Ninevites. So I don't think it's a stretch at all to say Jonah hated the Ninevite people. He hated their evil. He hated their war crimes. He wanted God to wipe them out for what they'd done. So when Jonah heard from God, go preach to Nineveh, 
that, 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 that Nineveh will be overturned, Jonah took off the exact opposite direction. He wanted to be as far from Nineveh as possible, right? And it takes this violent storm, it takes a fish swallowing him for him to finally agree to go do what God said to do. And like I said, they all repent, they turn from evil, they confessed that they'd lived in a way that is offensive to Yahweh. And, and they hoped that just maybe God would be merciful and gracious to them. And God relents. And the Ninevites didn't know if God would be gracious. Maybe they'd heard rumors about Yahweh, but they didn't know, they didn't know Yahweh like Jonah did. And God was gracious to them. He was merciful. So we get to chapter four of Jonah. Jonah, uh, he sets up camp outside of the city. He's hoping, he's rooting for its destruction, which God doesn't do. He shows them grace. He gives them mercy. He shows grace to the, the people that have perpetuated evils that we probably can't even fathom. And Jonah's just ticked off. Right, so we come to Jonah uh, chapter four, verse two. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee for Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says, God, I know you. Yahweh, I know what you're like. I knew you were like this, right? I knew that, that you're gracious, that you're merciful, that you are incredibly slow to anger. I knew that you, you abound in steadfast love, that you do relent from disaster. God, I knew, I knew you would do this. I knew that if a preacher came through Nineveh and repented, that you would forgive them, that you would show them your grace and your mercy because God, that's who you are, right? right? That's who God is, this God that we read about in scripture. He shows grace to the repentant, right? Who turn from sin and turn to God. That's just, that is who he is. He is gracious. God loves to be gracious towards us, right? He wants to give us grace. He wants to forgive us. He wants to adopt us and bring us into his family as his own. We just have to turn away from our sin and turn to him. And I just wanna say for just a moment here, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus from your savior or from sin as your savior, Right? If you've been maybe coming to church and you're checking out Jesus, you're trying to figure out, man, who is this Jesus guy? What, what, what do I believe? I just say, are you ready today to receive God's grace? Right? Are you ready to be forgiven? Because his grace, his mercy is available for you. Right? Are you ready to join God's family forever? And if you are, man, I would love to talk with you today, right? The people on stage, we'd love to talk with you. Scott, one of our elders, he's in the back there. We'd love to talk with you. But church, are, are we gracious, right? Is that how people would describe you? Like your, your coworkers, do they just see you being gracious with others that you work with as well as maybe the clientele that you work with? Does your family does your family see God's grace by the way you treat them and interact with them and love them? When's the last time that you reflected God's graciousness to someone, even in a small, small way? Right? Jonah ran because he knew what God was like and he didn't want 
He did not want God to extend grace to them. He wanted them to have justice. And like I said, so often we want justice for others, right? We see that guy at work that, that he's shady and, and, and he lies and he cheats and yet he keeps getting promoted. He's climbing the ladder and the bosses love him because he's producing. And yet we're just, we want them to get caught. We want them to get found out or, or that, that person that's living a double life right? And their spouse, their family has no idea, man, we want, we want justice to be served. Or, or I think of court cases over my lifetime that have hit the news and, and, and as, as evidence just comes out more and more, it piles up and you're disgusted with that person and you just want the book to be thrown at them. Man, we are at times rooting we're, we're rooting for justice, maybe even rooting for their destruction. And like Jonah, we set up camp. We want that front row seat because we're hoping it all burns down. What a show that that would be, right? Everyone at one point or another, we, we want justice for others. But when it comes to us, we want grace. Just this summer, I was driving on vacation. Um, I may have been driving over the speed limit. In fact, it'd be completely accurate to say that I knew exactly what the speed limit was and I knew exactly how fast I was driving and I was making a very deliberate choice. There's no one on the road near me, right? No one, no one in front, no one behind. Every once in a while I see someone come the other way and we had somewhere to get to. I'm just trying to be a good dad and get my family there, right? We only have so much time. But I was making a decision. And then all of a sudden in my rear view, I see those lights flashing. And I just sunk. Like, oh man, I deserve this, right? Like I, I am guilty and, and I'm pulling over, I mean, right away, I'm pulling over. And uh, I have a lot of experience being pulled over when I was much younger. Um, most of it truly wasn't my fault. I drove a lot of cruddy cars. Um, so I, I've talked a lot to cops um, after being pulled over. And I, I probably fabricated a few stories when I was younger. This time, it wasn't gonna, I just knew it. I knew what I did, right? And I was just ready to just say, man, guilty. And I pull over. I'm ready for it. And he just blazes by me. <laughs> and I'm like, no way. And I, while I was excited, I just had this overwhelming sense of, man, I do not deserve to be let off the hook here. It just instantly made me think of God's mercy and, and his, his grace. And I'm not saying that God like graciously did this because I was gonna confess that I was guilty. That is not the moral of the story um, at all. I, I knew, I knew what I deserved. Man, being the, being the recipient of grace is humbling. Let, let's, let's look at Jesus. And obviously there's a ton of stories that, that we, could, um, we could pick, but I, I only, we only have time for one. So Luke chapter 23. Uh, one of the criminals, this is in verse 39. It says, one of the criminals uh, who were, were hanged railed at him saying, are you not Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, this guy, this story just shatters categories for me of, of who's gonna be in heaven for eternity, 
right? I don't know if this guy could explain any doctrine at all, right? I, I don't know if he had any understanding of scripture, though, though it's possible that he did, but, but he did understand that Jesus was without sin, right? He professes that to the other criminal. He believed that, that Jesus was the king, that he would reign, and he just asked Jesus to remember him, right? Would you have grace? Would you have mercy on me? And Jesus gives him grace, right? He gives him what he doesn't deserve. And if we are disciples of Jesus, we've gotta be people marked with the grace of God. And I've just, I've just flown through a few passages on God's grace, but let's spend some time uh, thinking about what it, what it means to be a, a gracious church, right? Gracious in our gathering, gracious as we grow in Jesus and, and gracious as we go. Would you say our church family is saturated in God's grace or are we marked as a people that are gracious? As a church family, do we, do you have grace for one another? When, when do you struggle to have grace for someone in your church? It's probably people that aren't like you, right? And, and there, there are cool ways that people aren't like you that you want to aspire to. to. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ways that bug you, the ways that, that, that really get under your skin, Right, who are the types of people you most struggle to show grace to in your church family? And I said this earlier, like we need one another, right? God, God so composes the body of Christ that we're these interconnected, interdependent members together because he's made us that way, that, that we absolutely need one another. He uses, uh, he uses that other Christian, right? That's not like you in, in your sanctification. And, and sanctification just means, uh, it's, it's how the Bible talks about growing you to be more and more and more like Jesus, right? From one degree of glory to the next over your lifetime. So that brother or that sister that's really different from you, they're probably actually a gift from God for your growth. Right, right, because God is going to use them to refine you like a rock tumbler. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever used a rock tumbler. My kids for a while were super into polishing rocks. So we, we'd put these rocks in there and these, these different grits of, uh, of sand that, that they would, they'd tumble around for, I mean, hours and hours, days and days, weeks and weeks. And, and we'd put finer and finer grit in there to, to, to polish these rocks, right? Get rid of not just the rough edges, but, but it, it would bring out the beauty uh, that was in those rocks. And that's what God is, is doing in us as a body together. So even in our church, like who do you generally connect with? Is it, is it pretty much just people that are like you? Right? And, and this could be based on personality or interest or season of life. It, it could be age. But the body of Christ is diverse. And I don't only mean ethnically there. I know that's when we talk diversity as a culture, that's usually what we mean. But, but I don't only mean eth uh, eth ethnically. I also mean diverse in age, right? Diverse in interest, in passion, in socioeconomic, in, in background. But we tend to prefer people like us. So a simple way that we demonstrate grace to one another is just getting to know other people, even ones that aren't like you and letting them get to know you as well, your lives joining up with each other. Another way we demonstrate grace is obviously when we're wronged. And if you're part of a church family, like really in the life of a church family, at some point you're gonna be hurt 
by someone else in your church and you will hurt someone in your church. Just like your, your own household, your own family, we, we hurt each other. Sometimes it's on accident. Sometimes it's, it's on purpose. But do you show grace to those whom you've been hurt by in your church family? And, and, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, no, but they never said, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, 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 it is really hard to be the first to extend that olive branch, to be gracious. Is there anyone in your church that you're withholding grace from? Uh, another way that we show grace is, is trying our best to assume the best in others. Right? Uh, I've noticed that when we don't know the full story, we tend to fill in the details. And many of us, I know I do this, we, we tend to go a little negative in those details. We start assuming maybe not the worst in someone else, but, but not good stuff. So do we try to, do we work hard at assuming the best in someone else until, until we have ample uh, uh, evidence otherwise? Another way we show grace in our church families by recognizing that, that God will give different people different passions within his kingdom work, right? All of us, every Christian needs to be passionate about Jesus being glorified, right? About disciples being made. But within that passion, there will be, there'll be very honed in specific passions, right? So there are gonna be some Christians in a, in a church that, man, they're, they're all about unreached people groups, or maybe, maybe it's not even just unreached people groups, but this specific unreached people groups. And, and, and there'll be other people, right? That they, man, they're looking at this homeless crisis and like, man, Christians, we got to lead the way in this. And, and there are others that are going to want to care for foster kids. And there are others that, man, they, they, they want to start a group to, to pray for the, uh, the persecuted church. And, and, and there are others that want to, want to help students that, that have never heard about Jesus before because their families don't go to church. And there's, I don't know, maybe there's someone that's like super passionate about church history and another guy that's passionate about studying the Bible this way. And, and someone might be passionate, you know, about all kinds of things, first responders or, or, or whatever. And the list could go on and on. But, but what's tricky is that sometimes in our passion, all we can see is our passion and we don't understand how everyone else isn't as passionate as us. Like if they loved Jesus, wouldn't they be just as passionate about me? Uh, about the, not about me, about the thing that I am passionate about, about this thing that God's put on my heart. But maybe, just maybe, God has, God has done that on purpose and he's, he's letting all of us have those passions and working together so that we, so that we can be a part of glorifying God in a way that we could never do on our own, but collectively together. So all that to say that we show grace to others in their great commission focus. We also show grace in differences on non-essential Christian beliefs, right? There's some things we absolutely, as a church, we need to agree about. These, these core things, the nature of God, nature of humanity, that, that salvation is by grace, grace through faith in Jesus, right? We need to agree about scripture, that, that it is God's word, that it is sufficient. But man, there's gonna be a lot of things that we see differently on. I'm telling you, don't draw, don't draw battle lines where there should not be battle lines drawn. There are some places where there should be battle lines drawn, but American culture, and I know you felt this in the last 
uh, certainly the last few years, but even the last decade, more and more, there's, there's this, uh, this pressure to divide and to reject each other. And, and that's, that is infiltrating the church. Man, we, we should not be that way. We should be able to love each other and disagree about a lot of different things, right? We're gonna, some are gonna see spiritual gifts in this way and others this way and others this way, right? We're, we're gonna interpret different passages in, in these different ways. We're gonna have different views on, on the end times. We won't always see eye to eye on politics. I mean, we could go on and on, but we need to have grace for one another in the areas where we really should be free to disagree. Right? And it's okay to be concrete in, 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 in your beliefs, right? In areas where you've wrestled hard, but, but we want to do that with humility, right? We, we want to be gracious with others that maybe they've wrestled too, or maybe they're wrestling right now, or, or, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe they still need to wrestle, but man, let's, let's show each other grace. As disciples of Jesus, we show grace to, to where people are growing in their discipleship, right? Like you, you maybe have grown in a certain area, in, in Christ, like you've come to some level of maturity. Maybe you've been there for a while, but there was a time when you weren't there. We need to have grace for one another. Going to Bible college is a funny thing. Uh, and, and seminary too, like you, you get puffed up, you get all this knowledge, you're, you're, you're around all these just br brilliant professors. You spend all this time in God's word and, and thinking about all, all kinds of things with the church and, and doctrine. And, and, and you, you start to think that, that you know a lot. And in some ways, you know way more than you did, but man, <laughs> there's still a lot to learn. But so often I saw it in myself, I saw it in others. Then you go back to your church or your other Christian friends that haven't been to seminary and, and you look down at me like, how do you not think that? And I'm like, man, we just learned that two weeks ago. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, let's be gracious with one another. Let, let's, let's end with this. Let, let's, we've got to think more about how how we're gracious as we go to our neighbors, to the nations, right? How, how do we demonstrate grace to people that don't know Jesus yet, right? We, we probably shouldn't expect that they will live as God's people should live. When they do, right? When they live by, by some of God's ways, that is a bonus. But man, we love them even when it's hard. And I, I neglected to say this yet. Grace to the recipient is free. To the person giving it, it is costly, sometimes very, very costly. We need to be ready to absorb that cost in showing grace, right? So, so we, we, we pray for those we're going to, right? We're interceding on their behalf. We're gracious in that way. We, we invite them into our lives, right? We open up our, our, our lives, our schedules, our, our, our space, our margin of time, uh, we, we extend grace in that way. We forgive even when they didn't ask us to forgive. Let me end with this passage, Luke seven forty one. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Jesus asked, now which of them will love more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly, right? We have been forgiven much, right? God has given us his grace. Oh man, I said I was gonna end there. I wanna read one more, Ephesians, sorry, not sorry. All right, Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you've been saved and raised up with him uh, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, right? For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Man, let's be people that are marked with grace. And, and if the Holy Spirit is convicting you today, right, of, of someone, or maybe it's a type of, of people that you withhold grace from, I encourage you, man, trust him with that. Don't, don't try and just do it yourself and extend grace. No, you need to ask God to give you the grace that, 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 that you need in order to be gracious to that person. Right? It is so good for us to pray scripture like search me, O God, and know my thoughts, try me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, right? Or, or, or praying things like, God, show me the plank in my eye because all I can see is that little speck in their eye and it looks like this massive plank. God, will you help me, help me to take, uh, take account of myself and who I am and all the grace that I need so that I can show grace to others because we cannot argue about whether we should give grace or not. We need to ask God to do in us what we cannot do, but what he has done for us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your grace, Lord. And I just, I just scratched the surface of, uh, of your word and, and, and how, man, how much grace that we see just flowing out of you. And I don't know everyone in here, but my guess is almost all of us know your grace in an intimate way. I pray that we would be a people that so recognize how we've been forgiven and we're just ready. We're ready to be your conduit of grace to each other. We're ready to be your conduit of grace to this world, Lord. God, would you, by your grace, use us, Lord, to to help bring people to you, to help be a part of reconciling people to you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.